You're listening to episode six of the Canoe People podcast. Welcome, I'm your host, Tim Story. On this episode, I catch up with a paddler who needs little introduction. He is currently the coach of the Lanakila Outrigger Canoe Club, Danny Ching. As you'll hear, he has competed at the highest levels in flatwater kayaking, outrigger canoeing, and stand-up paddling. We start our conversation by talking about Lanakila's recent results in this year's Catalina Crossing. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love if you could start out by um, by sharing about uh, about this last Saturday's race in the Catalina Crossing. Um, for those who don't know, uh, you guys, the Lanakila Outrigger Canoe Club, took second place, um, and that was an amazing, amazing showing. <laughs> uh, so I'd love to hear about about the race itself and uh, kind of how it went for you guys as a team, how you guys prepared for it, uh, just you know, all of it. Uh, yeah, we, you know. Catalina is always our big race for the year. It's, you know, we're trying to peak for that race and uh, Ironman state champs, which is in like the end of June. So it gives us a nice opportunity to kind of train really hard peak in June and then take a little bit of a break and kind of recalibrate and peak again for early September. Okay. Um, our, our club's huge. I mean, we got, <laughs> it's, it's pretty insane. Um, I think our kids program, we had, we fielded two 1900 girls two 1900 boys on top of that there was another five nine-man crews of women uh at the end of the season there was another seven or no eight crews of men um and then we tend to pick up a lot of people at the end of the year as far as like hey anyone got an empty seat and so we tend to rotate a few people in that you know used to be around and or friends of ours because it's always hard to make that perfect multiple of six or nine totally but uh, yeah, our, our training uh, is a little bit different this year. We last year we were struggling as far as talent went. We had a lot of the juniors, and they were a little bit young, um, and they wanted they'd been training together, and they wanted to race together. And so some of our best paddlers are these young guys, um, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and we ended up losing a lot of our good paddlers to the junior crew. So our top team was like, <laughs> oh man, I wish we had some of those guys. <laughs> And then in a lot of races, like the first race of the season, our, our first team won and they were all over 40 and second overall was our juniors all under 18. And I was actually in the third crew with like the three guys that are somewhere between 18 and 40. So nice. um, it, it's a very interesting dynamic. And so what ended up happening is this year is just for Catalina where, you know, we, we made the decision, which we normally don't is to draw all your best paddlers, all your best assets into the first crew. Just, and the only reason we did that is because we knew all these teams from Tahiti were coming over. Uh, a really good team from New Zealand was coming over. Newport Aquatic Center has been training together. Same six guys in pretty much the same six seats for three, almost four years. And they've been going to Tahiti and training with those guys. So we're like, hey, you know what? There's legitimate competition it makes sense for us as a club to pull some of our top talented resources all into the same canoe instead of always spreading them out through, you know, 10, 12 canoes deep. And, uh, it, it ended up working out, you know, really, really well. This year was the first time in a long time where we had the talent, we had the time, we had the ability to train and we also had home court advantage. Yeah. So yeah, we, we <laughs> normally coaching for me has always been about, Hey, everyone's included. I don't care what you can't do tell me what you can do and we'll work around that at the end of the day if someone doesn't know how to paddle very well well my job as a coach is to teach you how to paddle so if you suck at paddling you should come to practice and i'll help you (laughs) but if you show up and you're terrible i can't be like oh man you're terrible at this well 
it's day one. Let's let's figure it out. I'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah. So at Catalina this year, we pulled the juniors in. A lot of our guys were over, like, I think we had two guys over 50, most of our guys over 40, but we just had that right combination of experience, fitness, and then bringing in that little bit of youth. And then it even extended all the way onto the escort boat. A very good friend of mine used to paddle with us, now lives in Colorado, actually flew back to come on the escort boat. Great personality. This guy, Larry Felix, runs some of our escort boat for Catalina every year. And then my wife, Leah, was on the boat running all the change charge stuff. And then when we jump out, it changed and come back in. No, he's kidding. It's the same. So she'd write like 10 change charts in the middle of the race and then throw them overboard if needed. And then even to the point where our escort boat, we had a little bigger escort boat, really good driver and his wife. And it just so happened with the windy conditions, having the bigger, more powerful engine was really, really helpful for getting faster changes getting back up so our crew wasn't by themselves for a long period of time trying to scratch and you know keep up without any motivation and then even the fact that um you know we could do faster changes than everybody else and everyone sitting in the escort boat was comfortable and dry not like years past where Catalina's flat and you get the smallest boat you can you try not to wake anyone out it was like hey i got the big boat i can go anywhere i want and all my paddlers are comfortable and relaxed just hanging out so yeah I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, I mean, all those things you talked about, like, were apparent to me as somebody who paddled in the race, like, and in, in the other nine man races with you guys this year. I think, I mean, just from the first race, from the Whitey Harrison race in Dana Point, uh, I think it was obvious to all of us that that you guys had really worked on your changes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you guys were quick and 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 they were crisp, um, and so I can imagine that was really helpful, uh, you know, in in a race like Catalina where you're doing a lot of them, you know, that's that. Well, it was funny as a, as a team, we, we don't have time to practice changes. Um, <laughs> when we show up to practice, we're like 10 to 14 crews deep. Yeah. And so even when we have a motorboat and I'm trying to run like, Hey, we have three guys and we're going to practice changes. You have 14 canoes going in 14 different directions. <laughs> the motorboat just gets out of the way. Yeah. And so it just so happened in that crew, we just came up with a game plan about two years ago when we got into the light boats and we started doing changes is we just said, Hey, look, here's the rule. From paddles down, when you stop paddling, the moment you stop paddling, to 10, 12 miles an hour top speed again, you guys get 30 seconds. Mm. And the only thing I need you to practice is setting your paddles and jumping out together and having perfect spacing in the water. And if you set those two things up, how you get in the boat, how long it takes you, I don't care because we don't have time to practice this. So you guys need to figure it out on your own. And if it takes you 29 seconds to get in the boat, you better be at 10 miles an hour in one stroke. <laughs> if, if you get in the boat in three seconds, well, as soon as everyone's in, we're going full bore out of the hole. And the trick was to get right back to top speed. No kind of building your speed and taking your time. And the big thing with the first crew is they're really good at being leaders. So when most of them got to turn off their brain and be followers, they're exceptionally good at paddling. Mm. And they hit the two things really clean. Jump out of the boat be perfectly spaced in a line. And if you set up those two things, they're talented enough to climb in the boat fast. And when it was time to go, just unload. And mm. so we do two sides flat out and really get the thing humming. And that was really good for us to get us to settle and get into a rhythm for the next 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just today uh, I saw, I think you posted a video of about an hour and a half into the race <laughs> and you guys were still, you know, three canoes bunched up together. So it was you and paddling connection and, and was it um, Paparaw? 
New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. Okay, was the far New boat. Zealand was on the good line all day in the fast crew. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, and that, I was wondering, uh, you know, how that went, like throughout the race, like how the spacing worked out, like um, how how long, you know, that that lead pack stuck together. Um, unfortunately, I, I started on our <laughs> on our change boat, and we had to hang back and kind of play uh, like race official for a little while. So yeah, so I didn't even get to watch that because everybody just took off. Uh, and we, had, we had to hang back. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I would I would love to hear a little bit about kind of how how that played out over the length of the race. Well, off the line, there was um, paddling connection. You know, got off the line a little bit slower, and New Zealand took the lead because they were on the straight line. So they had the perfect line straight ahead, follow the lead boat. And they were the only team in like the top five or six that didn't line up in the group. They were kind of off to the middle. And as soon as they yelled go and they hit the gas on the lead boat, they got a nice little ride off the front. (laughs) (laughs) So New Zealand was actually in the lead for a good 20, 30 minutes before paddling connection came up. We came up, NAC came up. There were like three other Tahitian teams I think mm. you guys, the NAC two was also there. Mm. Um, so it was it was a good group for a long time. But uh, what ended up happening is we we followed paddling connection. We took about a hundred, two hundred yard lead and kind of just held it the whole time. Mm. And we, you know, the guys from Lanakila went up with them. NAC went north with them, and they all started rolling north. At a certain point, uh, our steersman Josh just kind of looked over and goes, "You know, I'm not going to make a left turn and just chase these guys up to Redondo. I'm going to." keep most of the line and cover but he didn't want to go too far out of the way so he actually started working his way back down and at that point it was definitely paddling connection in the lead it was about an hour in um new zealand was pretty even just on the straighter line so they had a better angle and we were split in the middle and when we surfed down we surfed right even with new zealand okay and uh we actually watched paddling connection swing even further north for a long time until they came back and they were behind us and so that video I posted is two and a half hours. Oh, two and a half. Okay. So it's two and a half hours into the race, um, like seven, eight changes in, and that's paddling connection coming back down off their line to us. And basically they came up and we couldn't, you know, with us in New Zealand, it was maybe a boat length for about an hour and a half. We couldn't really, no one could shake anyone. And when paddling connection went by, we got a lot of old tough guys that have been around and done this race enough times where they just looked <laughs> over and went, well, we're going with them. Yeah. Who's coming with us? And so it's pretty cool because having those young guys in that are 16, 17 and never been in that position, but being surrounded by five or six guys that are like, hey, we're doing this. They just, you know, head down. OK, let's go. Oh, this this is hard. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club, new kid. <laughs> <laughs> So it was really cool because you could see how much how strong and fit the young guys were, but you could just see how mentally tough all the old guys were. Nothing would shake them. The pump broke at two hours, and okay, we remember how to bail, right? With our hands, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> so it worked out really well, and it was it was pretty cool because every time Paddling Connection would try and go away from us, we'd go chase them down and. You know, just keep swinging. At one point, they dropped in a crew that was, it was, we knew they had a good combo. All our combos seemed to be pretty consistent. And I watched New Zealand had one combo that kind of struggled. And Paddling Connection had one combo that would just slowly pull away. Like, mm-hmm. could, didn't jump us, didn't do anything spectacular, but we would be scratching to run with them. And I'm pretty sure they left that combo in for like an hour. I just watched them slowly <laughs> get away. And I'm like, well, I'm getting out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice, nice. Interesting tactics and, and just fun to be a part of. We, we've been in situations like this several times with the Red Bull Livestrong guys, mm-hmm. uh, with NAC in the past, when Hawaii, New Zealand used to come over. So for me, I think I'm running on 15, 16 years in the top crew. And basically, it's always been a race to three hours. And then at three hours, you, you swing and you see what you got left. Mm-hmm. And now it's a race to two and a half hours because at three hours, you might be entering the harbor already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, everyone, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that you got to have that mix in your boat of, uh, you know, these these old guys who had done it a bunch and then your young guys. Because <laughs> I, I was one of the older guys in our crew, or at least like we had some young guys in our crew, right? We had Hunter from Hawaii and he, I think he's 17 yeah. and, and Kawa's 20 uh, or 19. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm 36, so I'm I'm older than them. But it's only my second year, so I kind of feel like <laughs> like I'm like you're supposed to be new. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like I'm like yeah. I, I'm kind of one of the older guys, but then experience wise, I'm like this is only my second time doing this, you know. And I'm I'm definitely still learning the ropes. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's fun to see the team draw off of those different you know things. The the young guys with just this deep well of of physical fitness you know and, and they could just run for forever seemingly <laughs> and then you're you know you're you're kind of grizzled veterans who are like i've done this too many times to be phased you know and yeah. they're just, just going to buckle this isn't down. hard yeah <laughs> yeah we're on light posts this is amazing yeah. <laughs> it was funny though this year at the beginning of the race uh to see it seemed like everyone was was a little anxious with that side wind you know like even even yeah. the experienced guys were like whoa this is gonna get interesting we, we had a bunch of guys, uh, like four of our veterans came across in the morning and they're like, it is windy. Where's the boat? I'm re-rigging it. And I'm standing on the beach and like, it doesn't look that bad. They're like, no, we're taking whatever we normally run and we're moving out an inch. I go, okay. Yeah, I felt go like everybody who, came, everybody who came over on the ferry that morning showed up and they're like, all right, we're putting a weight on the Yama. We're keeping uh, it down. Where's the spray cover? You know, double check the pump. We're getting six batteries. There, yeah. there was a lot going on that morning, but you know, like I said, it's, it's just interesting having those veterans. And then the the big part is we actually had two juniors, um, two two of our other best juniors in our second crew that were battling you guys for a while. Yeah, yeah, they and were so right on our tail. That that was a solid crew. I mean, I looked at it when I was picking the crews for the first team. The biggest thing I looked at was consistency over time, and essentially you know wishful thinking hey when you're battling paddling connection at three hours who do you want in the boat like we'll ever be there yeah <laughs> but yeah but but at that point it was a combination of it's not even who i want in the boat because I, I think we had six guys in our second crew that legitimately have been in our first crew or could have made the first crew for this weekend hmm. and i just looked i go well who do i need to put there first and if they're put under pressure whether they pass or fail who do I need to put in that situation the most? And so that was the, you know, the veterans. And then we ended up with Ryland Hart in there and Keone DeFreeze. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, through, through working out with Josh, uh, I see Josh in the mornings, you know, at NAC and stuff. And he, <laughs> he kept telling us about, uh, you guys were running these weekly time trials this year, kind of in the, in the lead up <laughs> to the race. And he was just loving it, man. I, I feel like that like lit something inside him and he was just saying it, it brought a real, uh, a real like new energy to the to the club in terms of just kind of this race readiness you know like everybody was just in this race mentality you know we that, that's something I started when I started coaching um I started coaching I want to say I was like 24 mm. and it was really hard for me to sit there and turn around and tell someone who's been paddling longer than I've been alive 
what to do. Like it was tough for me to say it and it was even harder for them to listen. Yeah. And <laughs> so I like for my situation, having my dad start the club. So I would say something, they'd look at me having Josh be the past coach and one of the most successful coaches. They'd look at me and go, no way. And look at Josh. And he's like standing behind me, like do what he said. <laughs> like, well, screw you. We're going to the president. Where's, oh, it's Danny's dad. Yeah. He, yeah. We should just do it. Damn it. <laughs> And so uh, one of the biggest issues I had was trying to tell people like, hey, I'm picking the cruise. Well, I'm mm. not in that crew and I don't sit in that seat. I was like, well, I'm I'm the coach. You're supposed to listen to me. OK, you're not listening to me. Fine. I'll make this really black and white. We'll just do a time trial. Everyone get on a one man. You all have to line up on the same day at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we'll race. First six across the line. That's your crew. I hope one of you can steer. <laughs> And so we started that in 2005. Okay. And then it kind of went away for a while, but we just brought it back this year. But everyone thought I was going to do the normal one mile, you know, eight to 10 minute time trial, nothing spectacular. And they're like, yeah, we'll I'll do it. And they showed up the first day and we lined up. I go, so we're going here to the pier. You're going to shoot the pier and you're going to duck around the outside. Then you're going to go find this pole in the middle of the ocean. And you're going to go around this bell buoy. And then you come back. It was like 8.3 miles. Nice. <laughs> and by the end of the year, we had, it was the first time I'd ever been in a crew where if you were the best paddler and it was your turn to get out, it wasn't like, man, that guy sucks. He's coming in. Maybe I'll just stay. It was like paddles down, hit the water, and like the boat hadn't even left yet. Hmm. No, no, no. Bring in number nine. I don't care. We ended We ended up with like, I want to say five or six guys would finish within 10 seconds of each other. And that was number seven through 15. Hmm. Like it was, it was nuts. So we, we brought that back this year because we hadn't needed it in a long time. We just, there, there's been a clear division of talent and like you see the line, it's really obvious. Yeah. And this year I looked and just went, well, if we're going to go get in a fist fight in Catalina, you guys all better start sparring. So let's all line up. Let's all go. And what two of the kids that were in the second team. So they lost to number nine by less than a second combined. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and we we do like four or five time trials to really hammer it home. But there was one right before Dana Point where I said, hey, top nine, that's your crew. Everybody line up. And I, I think Nathan Shore, one of, you know, he, he used to own the record from 1998. Hmm. He ended up uh, passing these guys in the harbor, passing one of our juniors like halfway down the harbor and our harbor's like, point three miles long point four miles long and he passed the other one just outside the harbor and they ended up one was like nose to tail behind him and the other one was like six inches behind that one so that that last spot was definitely fought for and you could see the veterans loved it some of the juniors started really enjoying it and then you see other people where they kind of they get discouraged and they pull back so there is a disadvantage to that Mm. but for the guys that like to compete and love to compete and more importantly they don't care about winning but they hate losing (laughs) but <laughs> well, we saw a lot of people on one man's for for like every day for weeks leading into it and even the juniors like calling in sick to work and school getting ready for the five o'clock time trial <laughs> <laughs> nice nice yeah i mean that's one thing that like you know you know i i've heard a lot about is is when it when you compare like um the paddlers here in Southern California to the ones in Tahiti, you're just looking at the, at the reps that they get in terms of the races they participate in and the Tahitian paddlers, if they want to, they have one every weekend. Right. And so, and so just in terms of the experience of being in a race, how do you pace yourself? 
you know, how do you strategize? Like they're just, they're just doing that so frequently. Um, you know, it, it just becomes, uh, automatic, you know, whereas like for us, even if you do all the score races in a year, uh, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, you're doing what is it five or six iron races and then three nine man races. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it's just, yeah, it's you're not, just, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of like, you know, I've been doing this two years and, and I've, I've done as, as much racing as, you know, a Tahitian person does in six months, you know, <laughs> they're doing all the races. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the reps like that, they count in the getting in that race mentality, but just, uh, that's one thing our women have always been really good at is they breed competition and it, it's a double-edged sword. You, you get the results of everyone fighting for the top. So it kind of lifts the level of everyone coming up. But if it's too competitive, then you get that, the, the bottom falls out and the base of your club starts to disappear because, hey, I never have a shot. I always lose. This isn't fun. And so we try to balance, you know, have some of that competitive edge. And we do that in all of our teams, not just our top crew. So we have all the open paddlers. We do it in our master's crew, our 40 plus. Our 50 plus is super competitive. The 60 plus gets less competitive because there's less of them. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're only trying to knock out one or two guys. <laughs> but our our 50 plus, they have two, sometimes three crews, and they're trying to knock out like nine guys. So having that competition within the club is is really good. But then also remembering that, hey, if you're really good at paddling, sometimes you got to go get in a boat with some not so good paddlers. It helps the club. It helps practices run smoothly. And if that guy is our scorer rep and always tows the trailer, I need you to go win him a gold medal today. <laughs> it's, it's good for the overall. So um, that, that's yeah. one of the things that competition breeds is it really helps us kind of develop some of the young guys and the old guys. And just that, hey, if you're really fast, you're not special. Mm. And you don't get all the privileges. You don't get all the resources of the club. If you're really fast at paddling, we're going to put you in tough situations mm. and on the best days, on the biggest days, on the state championships days, you'll be in the best crews. On all the other days, you might be learning toughness, pulling around guys that might not be so fast. It's good for you and it's good for them. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's a good reminder. Uh, I mean, that was something I think, uh, when I, when I talked with Josh and had him on the podcast, he mentioned, you know, that as a coach, you, you really have to keep in mind, like, what are those intangible goals you're setting? Not the tan, not just the tangible yeah. ones of getting medals. Right. But what are the intangibles you're trying to create? In a, in a club culture. And I think uh, that's definitely something to really, um, to keep an eye on. Yeah. I just, there's, there's so much more than just the result of racing as a coach. I'll get judged on my results. Mm. People will say, Hey, you're good or bad based off of your results. But in a club situation, I was, I was reminded of this during a board meeting when someone called me out when I wanted to vote against all these new divisions and everyone gets a trophy. And I'm like, this isn't AYSO, this is <laughs> real, blah, blah, blah. And one of the people on the board were like, hey, you, you do know this is recreational. You're, you're the only one that makes a living doing this. <laughs> it's like, oh, our, okay. Novice co-ed Bradley with a dog division. Fine. If that makes the sport bigger and people happy, I need to recognize that that is something that, that adds to whatever it is people want to do. And it's that inclusive nature of the sport. So managing the club with the teams, with the competitive spirit, we tend to, you know, tell our, tell and tell our story as Lon Aquila as we're a competitive racing club. That also is a recreational club that does paddling. If you join our club, you are going to race. That's Mm. part of the deal. 
We don't said you never said you had to be good. We never said you had to do all of them. We just want you to participate because that is the main function of what we do. And then just kind of building all of the intangibles of a team that go with that. Mm. Well, you know, the biggest thing I found with our novice team is our novice team is bigger and faster when we have biweekly novice parties. Mm. That's kind of the biggest thing. It's not who we recruit. It's not how hard we train. It's not the results. It's the, you know, the, the, the bonding and camaraderie of the post-practice or, you know, Hey, we're going to get together and not paddle today. And you should bring your family and your friends. Mm. And, and so little things like that, we got it. We, we've got a really, really good thing going with, with how big we are. We have people that are good at everything. So I'm not very good at the whole rah, rah, go team. Let's all cheer before we race. That's, I'm very anti that, but we have a couple guys on our team. Josh loves to give big speeches. We have another coach, Carl Ellett, who's just huge. Him and his wife are huge for our novice program. When they take a break, we watch the whole camaraderie thing take a dip, but they're really big at running fundraising, at getting novices to show up, and then just bringing in that whole, hey, family, friends, you know, part of being a club. So it is, yeah. it's a lot more than I'm used to. Well, it's it's really normal for me, but it's a lot more than I see when I go to other clubs. They all have parts of this, but they're usually not big enough to function and do all of it at the same time. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I do know somebody who 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 really appreciates the uh, all the divisions and the medals is, is my daughter because the first year <laughs> I raced, uh, I was racing in a novice boat, but we were always in Bradley division, so I, I think I medaled every race, and she just thought every nice. time I went to race, I'd bring a medal home. <laughs> You're the winner, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? We I, I see that in our club. Um, that's one of the things I think in Ironman champs, we were the goal was to try and win every division except for Masters Unlimited. And the joke was our spec team got second. <laughs> Everyone else won and our spec team got second. So we're like, oh, come on, fifth Lana Kila. Let's step up your game. Spec team How dropping come you the couldn't ball. beat so- Farina's first team? What's going on? <laughs> so it, it, it is fun. It actually does give us something to shoot for. And then same thing in Catalina. Our junior boys won. Our over 40 spec won. Our Bradley won. Our over 50, they sucked. They got second. They're super <laughs> bummed. Over 61, our unlimited men, we suck. We got second. So <laughs> it's it's it does create some of those divisions. I think there might be too many. But at the end of the day, when you see all the competition, you see all these things, it is a recreational sport. Being able to, to kind of give out some of those trophies, like, you know, the, by the time you get to like the Ventura race, pretty much everyone gets a medal. Yeah. But then it gets super competitive in state champs, and really not everybody gets a medal. <laughs> it yeah. changes when everyone shows up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I definitely see value in both of those, and I recognize you know we can probably get rid of the Bradley division. I think mm. having three open divisions is a little bit redundant. Mm. With how big the novices are, I absolutely believe there should be two novice divisions, uh, Bradley a spec. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the novice also get a co-ed, but it does make things a lot easier when you're trying to get crews together. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it gives you somewhere to put all the people. I, I'm looking for that junior co-ed division, but I feel like it's going to kill the men and the women juniors. Like, it's going to take everyone because it's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, I'd, I'd love to switch gears and, and hear a little bit about uh, you personally and your kind of journey in, in paddling and in what your careers look like. Um. I think if I if I've you know like heard it correctly like you started as an outrigger paddler correct 
Yeah. So, because my dad started Lawn Tequila Canoe Club, that mm-hmm. was just one of the things we did growing up. So when I was 10 and my brother was nine, it was sit on the deck, hey, go like this with your paddle. And then he'd move the bench and that's how you steer, left to go left, right to go right. Mm-hmm. So now you guys paddle. And we grew up running around on the rocks to that, well, my parents paddled. And I remember because uh, my mom was paddling, my dad was coaching. And there's stories of, hey, we'll just put the baby in the bassinet into seat five, and then <laughs> you can still coach, and mom can steer, and we don't need a babysitter because we can't afford one. <laughs> oh, all right. So my brother and I used to run around the rocks when we were four and five, and we used to jump on the surf skis. When you're that little and you know how to swim, you don't weigh enough to flip a surf ski, apparently. So we there just paddle them around. It just writes itself. <laughs> well, you don't weigh enough to flip the thing over. It just yeah, like yeah. tips a little. And then, no. Uh, Keep paddling, yep, tip a little. So you're not you're not tall, so you're not top heavy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh so we started racing at ten and that's when my mom started racing. I think mean, I was gonna say I was like ninety-four. Um, but then ever since then it was just yeah, you just do it during the summer, like you you know, you do AYSO and you do T ball and you do, you know, basketball and then in the summer you do junior lifeguards and paddle. Like, okay, no big deal. But uh that actually got me transitioned into um like when I was 14, 15, I just started going with Josh wherever he went out. Okay. He was coaching the men, and I was like the first junior besides him back in the day to like get dragged <laughs> along and like, hey, Josh wanted to win races, so he's going to go paddle 50 miles. Danny, get in. Josh is going to babysit you for seven hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no problem. Nice. So that, that was kind of my introduction to like, really paddling and one day after a long paddle he just threw me in a kayak he goes hey go get my kayak we're gonna do a kayak workout you can stay on your one man just get the kayak for me i'm like yeah sure and then he put me in it so ended up going around the harbor a couple times like wow i never flipped i'm super good at this so i okay can i take it out tomorrow he goes yeah i took it out the next day i flipped 20 times (laughs) i was like all right that's hard. So I actually ended up trying to get into the Olympic kayak stuff because that's what they were doing. Okay. I started going down to NAC where I met Sam Couch and joined the junior team and started racing with them. And my brother and I were super good once we picked up the balance. Hmm. So we made the national team like a month and a half later and went to nationals. And I just remember, I remember I kept getting my ass kicked and I was super <laughs> super pissed off about it and the cherry on top was i made the nac four-man team so i was in the k4 with like the little juniors and my mm-hmm. brother because he was the fifth fastest kid got farmed out to i call it you know the, the, the retard team the leftover kids <laughs> and they beat us oh no way <laughs> for third place and so he came home with a little bronze medal and it had his name and the time and his place and that thing sat on my parents' wall until about four years ago. Oh, man. There's a little picture of him, like, hat <laughs> sideways, double double peace sign, third place, medal from Nationals, and I got I got goose-egged on that one. Oh, man. Uh, that, that was my intro to kayaking, and my response was, give me that stupid kayak. I'm going every single day. I'm going twice every day if I can. Yeah. And I paddled every day the next year. Showed up to the next nationals. By the time I got there, my brother had quit paddling. He was over it. And I ended up getting seven out of eight gold medals at the next nationals against all the juniors. Whoa. The only race I lost was by like maybe half a second. And <laughs> wow. I just remember coming home and slamming down eight medals and looking at my brother and be like, how many medals did you get this year? 
<laughs> Nothing no. like some brother, some some brother rivalry uh, to motivate you, huh? Yeah, I can't compete with my little brother. It's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, but that got me into the kayaking stuff. I kind of went with that for a little while, and I, I took a year off. And when I came back, um, I wasn't going to do it. I was kind of over the, the kayak scene. It's just a lot of work for one race a year, mm. and there's really just not a lot going on. So I, I like the outrigger stuff. It was more fun. It was more social. But my college roommate and one of my best friends decided, he's like, yeah, I'll do it if you do it. And I'm like, well, I'll balance the boat for you if you just paddle super hard because you're really good at paddling and you got terrible balance. <laughs> I'll teach you how to sit in the boat. Just don't flip me. We're going to look stupid. Yeah. We ended up uh, going to nationals. We got third in every event to the same two guys. So if it was K1, I got third. If it was K2, my partner and I got third. If it was K4, we got third again. <laughs> and we made the junior world team. Hmm. And then a few days later, they come back and they go, hey, so in one of the races, you didn't get third, you got fourth. We looked at the video and I was like, yeah, whatever. Here's your medal back. I'm going to Brazil. I made the junior world team. Oh, so now that that's okay and you accept that, that was the only race that counts and you're off the team. Whoa. I was like, well, this is stupid. I'm out. So I basically quit kayaking, went straight to Outrigger, decided to jump off the surf skis and start racing one mans and it just also happened to be the year where i moved up to santa barbara josh my uncle lived up in ventura mm. and it was one of those like hey i'll just paddle up here i'll go to school up here and i'll do the winter series do all the one man races and i got smoked when i transferred to one man <laughs> i had to went from like seventh across the line as a 17 year old in my surf ski against all the men to like 61st overall and i had to shoot my canoe to beat the first place girl <laughs> like it was pretty it was a big transition and that was one of those like um th- this is not right my dad's the coach my uncle's also the coach my mom's super good at this my brother's su- so i went to josh one day and i was like hey so i want to be good at paddling and i hate losing and he goes <laughs> okay Show up tomorrow at six o'clock and we'll go paddle. And I was like, sweet, this will be great. I'm going to go paddle a couple of times and I'll be good. <laughs> and for the next three months in the dark in Ventura Harbor, it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at night in the dark with glow sticks. And then we'd go long on Saturday, long on Sunday. So wow. that, that was my introduction to like, hey, you want to be fast? Here's the work. I think after the first week, I looked at him. I go, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I don't want to be fast anymore. He goes, nope. You started it. <laughs> you like, signed oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> so I went from you know first race. It was like 60th, and like not even in the medal conversation. The next four races, I led to the harbor mouth mm. and got passed by at least one person, if not three. <laughs> And the only race that I won that year was the Santa Barbara race, which finishes about 50 yards from the harbor mouth. Nice. And I won by boat length. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that, that was kind of my big like, hey, let's do this. And so every time something gets real difficult or I get pushed aside like that, I look at it and I go, okay, well, now what can I do? Mm. So kayaking was my little brother. The one man was like, hey, I'm supposed to be good. I transferred. I got smoked. And then I started jumping with the six mans and – so now, you know, everything I've you know learned from Josh is 
what's the next bigger, better thing? You know, everything I learned from my dad is, okay, yeah, you did that. That's great. Celebrate it, be happy, and now move on. Mm. Now, how do you do it bigger and better? So it started out by myself, winning juniors, and then, you know, now to the outrigger thing that I love and being an individual, and then the open stuff, moving on to trying to win Molokai, trying trying to go to Hawaii and just win a race and compete. Mm. And now it's, okay, now how do I take a team and go compete on that level, which we did for a few years. We did the 404 stuff and went in Olamau, um, did a couple of Molokais and went competing against some of the best guys there. And now that it's, hey, I can grab all the best guys in California, the, the new goal is, okay, hey, how do I make the club bigger? How do mm. I do it with people that shouldn't necessarily be there? Hey, you don't have to be the best at everything. You don't have to be the biggest resume, but what do you have that adds to the, to the group? And now it's progressed into, I think the first race I did with Ryland, he was nine and we did the old Catalina relay. And so I'd won like seven in a row. And then I decided to race on a two man with Josh Ryland and my cousin Garrett, who was 10. <laughs> and that was the, Hey, let's, you know, I, I think we raced like Spoto and, and those guys for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, now, now the, the goal is, hey, now how do we grow, like basically grow a new generation of paddlers and teach them to do it the right way, teach them about work ethic, teach them, you know, you don't always win. Sometimes you get smoked. And now how do you respond to that? Yeah. And so I, I think we're doing a really good job with the next group. I think we're doing a really good job of bringing the old guys back that have done it before and they're getting fired up and, and encouraged. And now it's just turning into this huge huge thing that kind of snowballs on itself and now that i have a family and my wife races with the women and i race with the men and my daughter's gonna race on the team it's pretty cool because there's so many people that can help out if i drop the ball and something josh picks it up or carl picks it up or even you know the women's coach will come grab it and get keep everything rolling that way but for me that paddling kind of grew out of you know hey it's a family thing hey it's my family's thing Hey, this is the club that I grew up in and now it's taking it to the next place. And then the biggest thing now is setting it up so that if I take a step back and I disappear for a while, it'll still continue on the same path and not make a drastic change. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, from a, from an outsider's perspective, have just really admired, you know, just in the last couple of years what I've seen. Uh, you guys building in, in in the club at Lanaquila, you know, there's a seems to be a really great energy there, and and just I, like you said, you know, you put a lot of work into building up some momentum, and hopefully that momentum can continue to kind of carry itself forward, even if there's not yeah. always, you know, y- you or some other person to kind of like play the role that's gotten it to that point, but it's kind of has this critical mass now that's gonna, you know, keep it going. <laughs> That, that, that's the plan. And, you know, just get enough people with the right culture. I think at the end of my first year of coaching the men, we had, we had three nine man crews and one of them was completely borrowed. Like all nine guys were borrowed. (laughs) So I always joke when I came in, we we had a lot of good things going. We had some bad things going. And the way I explain it is I came in and we had a lot of, a lot of fat to get rid of. Mm. And, and I was super impatient and young. So I, I, I cut it out with an ax (laughs) <laughs> and I might have got rid of some vital organs. So it took a while to get back to this point. I, I, I could have been nicer about it. I, I should have came with a scalpel and, you know, gone around some important parts. But I just went, wham, this is where we're starting. And everyone from that point has had a certain mentality and, and a certain idea of, of the culture and, and, you know, giving back to your club and pay it forward. And 
you know, how do you include more people, not how do you exclude people? And mm. that seems to be the big thing that's carrying forward. So in what, everything we do, that's the driving message that really gets passed on and helps us succeed on pretty much everything we do. Mm. Yeah, I really, I really like that. I mean, I, I think it, I had a conversation with Josh earlier this year where he was just explaining like, you know, kind of how you guys have a philosophy of, you know, especially like you said, for the state champs in Catalina, you're kind of trying to put your top crew together. But for the other races, he was explaining how, you know, hey, maybe we pick a couple of people who are like, they've been putting in a ton of work and they're improving and we're going to stick them in the top boat just to to reward that and, you know, to, to give an opportunity. Them. We're going to yeah show people that, hey, they're doing things the right way. And, you know, you paddled two years and you already know there's a big difference when you're in the first crew and the second crew. Now imagine if there's 10 crews, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it always changes. It's always different. And for me as a coach to sit there and go wiggle your wrist and go like this and shake your nose and then you'll go fast. And at the end of the day, it's a feeling. If you don't ever feel it, you're not even sure if you're aiming in the right direction. Mm. So for a lot of these guys, it's, Hey, you know, if you work hard, we're going to give you opportunities even when you're not ready. Mm. But hopefully that drives you to keep working hard. That gives you something to aim at. And that's shown to the rest of the club of like, hey, if you do the work, good things can happen. And we got a lot of paddlers that learned how to paddle really good and became first team paddlers and coaches and now part of the core of our first team. And then we have a lot of paddlers who are like, oh, my God, I hope this guy can swim. (laughs) Like, man, if he falls out of the boat, is he going to be okay to, wow, that guy's competent. That guy's good. Hey, you know what? I need you to go take this other boat that's not very good of all those guys that used to be that you used to be and you're going to take them out. And so we got a lot of guys that have come a long way. And we always, you know, the the joke is when you show up to practice, if we don't like you, we're going to do two things. We're going to paddle hard. We're going to paddle really far. And (laughs) we're either going to get you to quit or if you're still here, you're going to be really, really good at paddling one day. (laughs) Just, Hey, you're in it or you're not. And if you love it and you love the process, then you stay. If you don't love the process and you're in it for the reward, then you usually don't stay very long with us. I feel like, I feel like that was my experience. My, I joined, uh, my paddle last year, my first year at Kahakai and I joined late and, and I, I rolled up to a practice. I think they had already raced, uh, San Diego, uh, like crystal pier and, uh, whatever the second one is. And, and they were coming up on, uh, Santa Barbara. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I showed up to a practice and, and they were like, Oh, don't worry. It'll be a short one tonight. And I, I think it ended up being like a 17 mile. I went out and around the break wall, you know, and all this stuff. And I had nice. And, Oh, I think I rolled out of the boat when we got to shore, you know, I, I, think I just like <laughs> rolled out and splashed on it. And, um, and, but I, I mean, I got home and I was just like, I, I don't know. Like when I showed up on Thursday, I could kind of read that on some of the guys' faces. They're like, dude, this guy came back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You, know? you can stay. <laughs> yeah. They're like, all right, you, you, you can be on the team, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. I, I, I kind of appreciated that, you know, that it was like, Hey, we're just going to put you through the paces. And if, if it yeah. doesn't, if it doesn't chase you away, then, then you'll, you'll stick it out, you know? We get a lot of those just Hey, I'm, I'm in town. Can I swing by? And they like come in, okay, so here's my resume and all. No, 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 you, you can paddle, right? Yeah. You can swim? Yeah. Okay, sign this waiver? Yeah, we're good. Get in the boat. <laughs> oh, hold on. What seat do you sit in? Yeah, go sit there. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, that's it? Yeah, that's it? Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's 
it's actually easier to handle that when you have more crews mm. because you can spread things out and you can hide pieces and you can move pieces around and get them run. But we are starting to run in that part where now, you know, too big is too big. But before we used to have the problem where there were three crews and you get one bad guy and there goes one whole crew. Like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, it's nice to be able to include them like that. And it's just, it's enjoyable to see the look on people's faces when they come out and they show up to a practice and they're like, wow, so you guys do this? Yeah. Like how often? Three, four times a week. Then we go on our own and do it to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I, that was, I mean, that was a, uh, kind of like you had mentioned earlier that that when you hopped on a one man there was like it sounded like there was kind of like a wake up call that oh this is like a different <laughs> different thing you know like it's uh, and paddling was, but it's different <laughs> it is really different yeah i mean i i had the same yeah. you know i i fell in love with it doing six man practices and then i was like i'm going to get my own canoe you know like and and do the and you know do the yeah. do the one man stuff and uh i was like whoa this is a is it's, it's a, a different rude beast. awakening yeah yeah <laughs> Show up, you're like, wait a minute, was that really being carried that much? <laughs> <laughs> but the nice thing about doing so much, I mean, a lot of our morning workouts that we do, which is what I kind of have the opportunity to participate in because I don't always make the evenings with work and stuff, but uh, we do a lot of one man in the mornings, but my yeah. fitness level got like climbed really quickly. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, I can go for a really long time. Uh, but then I miss out on the time in the boat, uh, you know, just learning to blend with, with your teammates and doing all that stuff. So. That's what we learned with the the one mans is the one thing I learned real fast at a young age was everyone who can make a one man goes go fast can make a six man go fast. Now their personality and their ego might prevent them, mm. but they have every capability and knowledge and can make a six man go fast. Mm-hmm. Now the other way is only true like half the time. Can't <laughs> paddle one man to save their life and can make a six man because they always go to six man practice. Yeah, and so I always used to have this conversation when we had the time trials. I'd have someone who never paddles a one man has always been a six man practice and goes, that's not fair. Yeah. And I go, you know what? You're right. It's not fair. That guy spent $5,000 on a canoe and has to paddle it every <laughs> single day. And now he has to race you and you never paddle anything except on Tuesday and Thursday. Occasionally, man, I can't believe I'm giving you this shot. <laughs> They're just like, uh, that's not yeah. what I meant. Yeah. I go, that guy paddles every day, and I'm still giving you a shot at a seat. Yeah, and okay. if you beat him, you it's got not, it, you know? It's not fair, but go take a seat. <laughs> Here, take my boat. It's much yeah. faster than yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my uh, last year, I, 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 I remember, you know, I was, at, I was at Kahakai, and they were like, you know, I did my novice part of the season, so I didn't do the – they just do two time trials a year, right? One during iron season and one coming up on, on the nine-man season. And, yeah. uh, so I didn't do the first one cause I was just in the novice crew. But then when you kind of move up into the pool of, you know, the, all the other men paddlers, uh, that they, they were like, okay, you got to do the next time trial and it's on a one man. And I had never been on one. And I was like, okay. well, I hate losing, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I, I got a membership at NEC. I went down, I took out those tank loner oh, OC ones the Maninis, the yeah, white boats, you know? And, yeah. I, and I started paddling those things around and, you know, and some of the other novice guys are like, "Oh, you're cheating." I'm like, "I'm not cheating." I'm like, "I I put I'm my own practicing." Yeah, I'm like, "I put my <laughs> own time and money into this." You know, like I don't, I want to do well, and uh, and uh, yeah, and it was, and I ended up, I ended up doing way better than I thought I would in the time trial, and and I, I even you studied. Yeah, yeah, I, I hoolied in the time trial, and I think I got like the third or fourth fastest time, and I was like, 
hey, I, I put my time <laughs> in, you know, I did, I, <laughs> I did my yeah. due diligence. Definitely. Well, it's funny. Uh, so it's guys like you that we always have to hold the time trial because for the most part, your coach can sit there and 99% of it, he can get right first crack. He'll just look and be like, you, you're probably going to be first. That guy's going to be second. We know Don's always third and Vinny's going to get fifth That's <laughs> every single time. Yeah. But we got to hold this because there's always that one random dude that just shows up. And you're like, <laughs> seriously, who the hell is that guy? Yeah. Josh and I got asked to pick world sprints one time for 2008, I want to say. And they're like, hey, you guys picked the open team. We never even brought a team. It's in California. We should probably send an open team. Like, just hold a tryout, pick your own team. Score is like, you take care of it, do it. So Josh are like, sweet, let's go do time trials. Anyone who wants to be on the team, we're going to go do a thousand meter time trial at NAC, and then we're going to do a 500 meter time trial. So all these people showed up, and we lined them up, and we go, so we're going to do 10 of each, and we're going to take your time and your place every single time. By like the fifth one, everything was pretty established. By like the eighth one, most of the guys who thought they were really good but started getting smoked just stopped doing it, piled away. They're just like done. And we kind of knew who the guys were going to be, like kind of knew. But then there was this dude on an old white hurricane wearing a cowboy hat with a big handlebar mustache. <laughs> we're like, seriously, who the hell is that guy? And he just kept going and going. And every time he got faster, he started beating more people. And then he was like chasing me down. I was like, what the hell? Turns out it's this dude, Richard Graham from Oceanside. Nicest guy ever. <laughs> Funky looking stroke. Yeah, he made the first team. And no we all way. laughed. We're like, you got to do the tryout because there's always that dude. Yeah. Like, where did you come from? They're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that paddles in the harbor all the time. He never even goes in the ocean. We're like, oh, well, you need to come with us. We're going to go play in the ocean. Yeah. So he actually ended up making our Olamout team, our first team. We put them in on the second day, and they won day two. So that was like our big hurrah. And they're like, seriously, who are all these guys you won with? They're like, right on, Danny. I was like, nah, I was I was out of the boat that day. <laughs> they're like, no, Josh. Josh is really good. I go, nah, he, he wasn't in the boat either. Will, that dude Will, that young kid you brought up, is so, uh, yeah, he was sitting out too. No, seriously, who did you beat us with? Well, it was Brent Campbell. His dad was really good. And a bunch of old, salty white guys and Chris Conejo, one tandy. <laughs> they're just like, what? Go, yeah. So we hold those time trials. We find those guys. That's how we found Ross the first time. Yeah. Funny, funny looking stroke. Ross Flemmer, Dragon Boater from Philly. <laughs> and he just loved it so much. He ended up just moving back to Newport. Still works in Philly. <laughs> yeah. I think we spent a winter where he was... He was living in Hawaii, renting a house, and I would come out every weekend, and he would work from like 2 to 7 in the morning or 2 to noon, and then we'd go paddle the rest of the day. Mm. So it's, it's nice to hold those funny time trials and be like, wow, this, this, this guy, I like his attitude. Yeah. Yeah, that is something about, about yeah, holding those, those you know, the comp- competition brings something out. Or like you said, when you know when you have an open <laughs> invitation – Someone shows up that you're like, how have I not ever seen this person before? You know, and, and yeah, yeah, you, you know, willingness to be surprised. It, it, it's a good one. It's a lot of people in the club. We call it the Sinkus tryout or, or the Steve Sinkus program. Mm-hmm. So really good paddler on a team. Does it every year. He paddles a little bit. Then he disappears for like six months and he shows up like three weeks out of Catalina. And I go, look, man. You've missed every class that we've had. You've missed all the pre-tests, all the quizzes. You're only taking the final. 
you better ace this sucker. You're not in the first crew. And he shows up and just smokes everyone. And then jumps into six man and everyone's like, can he be in my boat? And we walk away and they're like, that's not fair. That's not fair. I go, hey, look, you don't have to buy the book. You don't have to come to class. But if you ace the final, you get an A. And if you do all that and you get a B, then you're in the second boat. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what they that's were. That's the risk. <laughs> that's what they were telling me about. Uh, someone, someone was telling me that about it, about Kruger, about Dave Kruger. They were like, yeah. man, that guy would be like gone, you know, for months and we wouldn't see him. And then he'd show up to some time trial and just, you know, leave everyone just in his Crush in his everybody. Yeah. They're just like, what the heck? He's yeah. well rested. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have to see you paddle, but you better be doing something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you, um, how do you, I mean, has it been a challenge since you, you know, um, since you made stand up paddleboarding like a, a big part of obviously what you do as well and, and you own, you know, 404 as a company and all that stuff? Like, how, how has that been balancing that with, you know, your involvement in Outrigger <laughs> stuff? That, that's been tough. Um, it, it actually wasn't too bad. Um, for a long time, I could do both. So I think 2009 is when I did my first stand-up race, mm. and it was pretty easy until about 2013. And it's just one of those things when you're young and, you know, hey, yeah, sure, let's do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. Let's add something to the pot. And basically, I just keep adding things and try and do it on bigger and better and more difficult. And, hey, let's see if I can win the world champion dragon boat stand-up and outrigger <laughs> all in one year and now let's do that with a wife yeah see how that works and then add a kid yeah and <laughs> so i and i found right about 32 when i added the mortgage the wife and the kid was on the way i went okay yeah that's too much yeah i yeah. need help <laughs> so the, the balance has been tough um with stand-up i took a i pulled back a lot this year with the kid with with the club you know, doing things that we do and just, um, the, the company, we, we kind of paused for a little bit and then we did a big revamp in the last few months as far as just, you know, solidifying our identity as a race team, mm. as more specialized boards. And so now that the season is over, I've been on a stand up three times in the last day and a half. Uh, I got to drive down to the office tomorrow, unload <laughs> a container of boards I've shaped the new board for the race coming up in three weeks, which is supposed to be one of the bigger races. Mm. Um, and then, oh, and then the paddle business, I got to redo all the paddle stuff. So basically it's just Oh yeah, a you added hippo stick. I mean, that's yeah. pretty recent, right? That's just the last year or two? <laughs> no, hippo stick's been around for about four years, but oh, it's been really? stand-ups. Okay. So it's been only stand-up paddles, only in carbon, and now we added outrigger paddles only in carbon. So my dad does the Mudbrook wood paddles, mm-hmm. and so we worked together for you know years on paddles and development and playing with stuff. Now he's doing just wood, I'm doing just carbon, and then we're looking at potentially doing a hybrid in the future. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the, the balance is, it's tough right now with my yeah. wife working, I'm three days a week, stay at home dad while working. But luckily with, with iPhones and stuff like that, it's super <laughs> easy to get everything done. So I can go for a walk to the park and get most of my work done and good to go. And then I only got to go check in on the office. My partner, Greg Jensen does an amazing job running 404 and hippo stick out of the office and handling stuff like that. I do a little bit of the sales calls, um, more like the, the customer service stuff. And then we just hire somebody to help pick up uh, on that side. Nice. But nice. For the most part, it's just, you know, whatever needs to be is done is done. And, you know, your time gets prioritized. And, you know, after running and coaching a club for so long, I've gotten very good at um, 
prioritizing what is the most important thing that has to be done today mm. and what are the things that I can put on somebody else, not do and or put to tomorrow. Yeah. So it, it, it's a balance and I just found myself it's uh, I'm very accepting of the things that I just go, nah, it's not going to happen. And that that seems to work out really well for me. If people ask me to do something, I go, yeah, yeah, no, you know, what? it's not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And yeah. I, I live with the consequence and say, that's fine. You yeah. know, I, I would love to do everything all the time for everyone and, you know, all the businesses and the family and the club and my personal training career. But I, I make a clear decision on certain things and go, hey, if I'm not going to be fast this weekend and I'm going to lose the race. Well, I'm going to do some things on the business side to make sure that I make the most money this weekend, even though I don't win. Yeah. Or blow the whole thing off. I need to go paddle. I'm going to go hang out with my boys or the kids or my wife and just go play because sometimes you need that just for a day or two. Totally. I totally yeah, feel you on that one. Yeah, I, I, I treated myself yesterday. I was like sitting at work watching the watching the wind app, you know, and I was like, oh, the wind's going to be good this afternoon. And I was like, yeah, oh, and I was I was like, oh, I can't leave work early. And then uh, Kala sent out a text and he's like, hey, anybody doing a down run this afternoon? I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I, I just, I'm on my you know, way. Yep, I was like, I'm leaving work early. See you guys. <laughs> Went out, did a fun little run. It was it was great. Great great way to loosen back up after Catalina. Oh, yeah. We did the family surf day on Monday. And in the afternoon, I got a bunch of work done while everyone took a nap. And then the last two days was, I think, I stand up in the morning, stand up in the evening, baby and puppy during the day. This, today I was sleeping, cruise, get some work done in the morning while baby took a nap and then I was practice in the evening so nice. back on it and then off tomorrow no training yeah but got to take the morning away from the family to go actually sit down in an office and do some work <laughs> Damn it. all right all right I'll do it once this week but only a half day <laughs> nice and you owe me <laughs> cool well uh hey I'm gonna let you go but uh thank you so much for giving me some time and, and chatting and just sharing sharing your no stories. No worries, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, see you around. All right. Sounds good. All right, Later. Nice That's it for another episode of the Canoe People podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you can, leave us a review. For those of you in SoCal, our team season is over. Take a break, have a beer, share some stories. Then get on that OC1 and start training for the winter season. See you on the water.